Well, show of hands, who here has seen the play, the musical Hamilton? Okay. Uh, for those who haven't seen it, I highly recommend it. It's a great story. And for, uh, if you don't know, it's the story of how a 19-year-old orphan boy grows up to become our nation's first treasury secretary. And uh, it's just a wonderful play. And it doesn't just list like Alexander Hamilton's accomplishments, but it actually goes into this, how he was as a person and what made him tick. And it, one of my favorite scenes in the play among the entire thing is this uh, section where General George Washington uh, pulls his young protege to the side because he had just gotten in a fight with a superior officer. The superior officer is bad-mouthing General Washington, and Alexander Hamilton is like, this is not right. We need to say something. This is, uh, we got to make sure everyone knows that this guy's crazy, because what will people say? And George Washington says, I, I appreciate where your head's at here, but you don't have to do this. Uh, the reason why is I'm going to let my actions speak for me. I'm going to let history decide for me. And he tells him the story of when he was his, uh, Alexander's age, when he got his first command. He w was full of glory. He wanted to uh, lead guys into battle, and he led his troops into a massacre. And at the time, that's what people, that was his legacy. That was George Washington's reputation. That was the actions it, that when they told George Washington's story, they couldn't leave that out. But George Washington, now seeing this young guy growing up, says, don't make my mistakes. History has its eye on me, implying that you better shape up because it's great that you can talk the talk, but what you're saying doesn't actually do anything. It's not until we actually allow our actions to speak for ourselves. That's how history is going to judge us. And that's something kind of that resonates, I think, with a lot of us. We want our stories told, but we also want people to remember us positively. Uh, Washington is saying here that it's really up to how we behave every day and how we go on and live our lives. And th that is something that I think resonates in a context where, yeah, we get that. If you, if you want to know about a person's life, do you go to the obituary? You can learn a lot from a person uh, of their entire lifetime. You can learn their name, the day they were born, their death day, what they died of, where they died, who they survived, what their job was. But if you really want to learn who a person was, you don't look there. You go to the funeral service. You hear the eulogy. And you go to the reception, and you hear the stories people are swapping. And those most powerful stories are the ones where that person's life intersects with their own story and how they made their own story a little better. You'll hear stories of uh, a kid and how his dad worked three jobs, but he never missed a baseball game. You'll hear stories about how a teacher stayed late after school every day to help someone learn to read. Those are the kind of stories that impact who we are, the, the, the kind of things that impact, like, oh, this person was more than just a teacher. 
This person was more than just a father. This was a separate individual person whose story is so unique and it should be told. And that is something that we are actually all called into. We are, as Christians, called to tell God's story. Uh, A lot of us don't really know God's story, and that's okay if you don't. But if if we, uh, sorry, Carter, (laughs) it's okay. Um, I, I applaud Damaris and David for preaching through that. Yeah, well, thank you. Uh, <laughs> but if you look, uh, we are called as Christians to live out God's story. And what do I mean by that? If we go to First uh, John chapter five, verses nine to thirteen. If you don't have your Bible in front of you, you can use the app. Um, the Bible, sa- uh, the text says, "If we receive the testimony of men, the testimony of God is greater." For this is the testimony, uh, if we receive the testimony of men, the testimony of God is greater. For this is the testimony of God that he has borne concerning his son. Whoever believes, uh, whoever believes in the son of God has a testimony in himself. Whoever does not believe God has made him a liar. Because he has not believed in the testimony that God has borne concerning his son. And this is the testimony that God gave us eternal life, and this life is in his Son. Whoever has a Son has life. Whoever does not have the Son of God does not have life. I write these things to you who believe in the name of the Son of God, that you may know that you have eternal life. So let me unpack this for a second, because there's a lot going on and also not very much going on. Uh, There's a lot going on, but at the same time, it's one thing that... John is just trying to say, and he's doing a type of thing where he's just repeating himself in different ways to try to get the point across. But he writes this to those who believe. So this is not a message for just anybody. This is not a morality lesson. This is specifically for believers, because when a person trusts and accepts the testimony of God, that, they, that Jesus died and rose again, something happens. We believe that when, that when we start accepting that truth, the Holy Spirit comes upon us and starts changing who we are. And in fact, a better word from change is probably transform. We are completely different. The idea, yes, Carter, exactly. The idea is that he is going to, the Holy Spirit is going to transform us from what we were before we believed into something more like Christ. Every single day, we should be changing and transforming and getting closer and closer to that perfect image of God. Once we get to, uh, and once we get far enough, we'll be able to see a little bit of a difference between who we used to be and who we are now. For example, when I started, uh, before I became a Christian, I had average views on a lot of things, and uh, for example, one view that come to, came to mind is capital punishment, and I, I had no uh, conviction at all about it. I didn't ever research the pros and cons, the ethics, uh, how it affects people, how this. I just knew that it doesn't affect me, so why should I care? I'm not going to find myself on death row, and why should I care about somebody's life if they're going to do something bad? 
And I think that's kind of normal. But then I started to believe. And a few months after I became a Christian, I was in a U.S. constitutional law class. We had to do a lot of these case studies. And I don't even remember a lot of the specifics of this case. But one thing I do remember was I was just stricken by how everybody in my Christian college class acted about this person. You see, this guy, he committed a crime, and he was obviously guilty. Um, and he didn't seem to have remorse for his actions. But the law, as for this particular case, did not allow for the death penalty. And my classmates were just angry. And they, they just like, how could this be? Why didn't they foresee this kind of situation? Or why did they say that this is off the table? And, at the, and all I felt was just extreme discomfort because I knew maybe the only person in the class that the only difference between this guy's heart and my own was that I had the privilege of knowing the Christ. I had the privilege of knowing that the Holy Spirit is not going to give up on me. Otherwise, my heart is just as guilty. I am just as deserving of death. But it was just odd for me to hear everybody else call for someone's head without looking at the bigger picture. And, uh, and it, it was just something that showed me that I have changed in myself. I no longer, I actually do care, I guess, now. I no longer think that it doesn't affect me. This is a case that was 100 years ago. I am not affected at all. But a few months ago, I didn't care about this kind of stuff. But now I do. That is the kind of work that the Holy Spirit drives in and continues to work through people. A testimony is a story that is a proof of something. This testimony, as John says, is that there is a proof that God uh, came to die and to rise again so that we may live. And our lives ought to be that testimony. So th that, that is what a testimony is. But how exactly should our lives be that testimony? Um, I'm, to return to Hamilton, sorry, more spoilers, uh, to return to the musical, uh, one, the most impactful moment of the play, at least for me, is towards the end when after Alexander Hamilton dies, there's a, a eulogy of sorts uh, that is given. And the most impactful one isn't from a political rival or a former president. It comes from his wife, it comes from his wife Eliza Hamilton. And it's amazing because this shows what it means to live for someone. You see, he died in his 40s, and she thought, well, he didn't have enough time. He could have done so much. He was such a brilliant person. But this, but sh so she decides, you know what? I'm going to publish all of his letters and journals. But that's just the words. That's not really living for him. So she's like, you know what? I'm going to do more. I am going to, uh, I know that he was a big fan of General Washington. So uh, she goes and meets all of the people that he served with in the Revolutionary War that she could, and not only writes stories about her husband from the soldiers she got, but also raises funds for the Washington Monument. But that's not enough. Uh, Alexander Hamilton was also a staunch abolitionist. He wanted to see the end of slavery. So she starts campaigning for, to be an abolitionist, and if she would have lived 10 more years, would have seen the passage of the 13th Amendment. 
But the thing that she says she's most passionate and most proud of is not the Washington Monument. It's not the work towards abolitionism. It's the orphanage she founded. It was the first private orphanage in New York. And she did it because her husband was an orphan. She created this place where the kids that had no parents and no way to actually learn and grow, they can have a shot just like her husband did. And so for 50 years after his passing, she lives for him. In fact, some might say that the the play really isn't about Alexander's story. It is Eliza's story now. Because Alexander's story ended in 1804, but she picks it up and takes it another 50 years. She takes his story and makes it her own. And in a similar way, we are called to live like that. We are called to take up God's story where he lived, died, but then he also rose again. And so in a way, we're supposed to live like uh, Eliza uh, to Alexander. But that is still pales in comparison because Alexander died and he stayed dead at 1804. We believe in a God who rose from the dead. And this changes everything. Like you've heard so many times over the past few weeks, the resurrection changes everything. Not only should we just take uh, morality lessons and sacrifice and say, hey, don't punish these people, punish me on their behalf. Not only do we take up the story of Christ and say, this is what was important to God, the least of these, but we should now be living for them too. We should be on our knees helping the least of these. We should be washing the feet, feeding the hungry, the or raising orphans, helping widows, single moms, college students, whatever that niche is that God has put on our hearts. Those are the things that we can now live for. We are in a new place. We are no longer subject to living our own story. Our story, once we become Christians, is God's story. So I'm going to read this passage one more time and let that hit home. If we receive the testimony of men, the testimony of God is greater. For this testimony of God that he is born concerning his son. Whoever believes in the son of God has the testimony in himself. Whoever does not believe God has made him a liar because he has not believed in the testimony that God has born concerning his son. There is a story here. If you believe, your story is in you. And this is the testimony that God gave us eternal life. And this life is in his son. Whoever has the Son has life. Whoever does not have the Son does not have life. I write these things to you who believe in the name of the Son of God that you may know that you have eternal life. You're commissioned by John right here to go out and live. You're supposed to go out and live. Live in the resurrected life. To do something that the world doesn't see as normal, to do something that the world does not see as something that is even attainable. We're supposed to keep living, and we're part of an everlasting story. It doesn't have an end date. 
we are part of a story that even when we're dead and gone, someday we're going to be resurrected again in the new heaven and new earth. And that is the life that we are going to continue working and sharing God's story. That is the story that we are called into. And so with that, I just want us to take in mind, take an inventory of how the Spirit leads us. God, thank you so much for how and where you have led your church. God, thank you so much and how you have led each and every one of us that are sitting here today and those in the global church body. You have put it on the hearts to build hospitals. You have put it on hearts to build orphanages. You have put it on hearts to do hospice cares. You have put it on hearts to make new churches so that you can garner new people to you so that they can do more good works in your name. We testify that you are the, not just the uh, God, but a living God. We testify today that our story shares something beautiful and that they can't help to say, I want to be able to tell that story too. Let me tell that story, God. And that God, thank you so much for that opportunity. We pray this in your son's name. Amen.